Am I needing to refresh? No. Okay, we're good. All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Unpack That. Uh, this is Paul, and today we are unpacking our internalized homophobia. <laughs> Just something light to give the girls. <laughs> yeah, something something really light to give the girls. Um, you know, right now during during coronavirus and quarantine, we figured we'd we'd tackle a topic that I think is near and dear to my heart, um, so much so that I hate it. Um, and also uh, very close to, I think, my cousin Andrew's experience. And Andrew is our guest today. Hi. So, Andrew, thank you so much for joining, being a guest on today's episode. Um, we've talked about doing this recording for a really long time. Uh, some version of internalized homophobia, Catholic guilt. We might cover them all. Just do the trifecta today. Get it out. Get it, get it out. Um, so I think that this topic specifically is one that, like, as I was saying just before we hit the record button, I don't know like if I've ever actually processed the ins and outs of internalized homophobia. Like I think I it's not something I really tackled in therapy. It's not something that, you know, I talk about with people seriously or for ever this amount of time. It's more something that I joke about because it is very much part of my like experience as a queer person. But I don't think I like actively talk and reflect with anyone on it because i have a husband who doesn't really struggle from internalized homophobia at all he's a little gay that's yeah. nice <laughs> thanks for having me this has been a long time coming i'm honored to finally be on the podcast the the, the podcast pod. the pod yeah deep friend of the pod andrew it's kelly a, is here big fan big fan from day one <laughs> yeah um local influencer local hero um, Don't. my cousin yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, please introduce yourself for everyone in addition to sharing blood Paul and I also <laughs> share our homosexuality um, which I think has always kind of been something that has connected us um, in addition to the fact that we are cousins and very good friends in our adult lives um, but yeah I am excited to be here so. I know I, well I'm excited to have you because I feel like um, I've, I've thought about like recording with you before. I thought about recording with my sister. Like I've thought about, you know, recording with our cousin, Brian, like lots of, I, I think, but like bringing family onto a podcast, like it, it, it could, I think just have a tendency to get a little messy, you know, cause our oh, family, yes. particularly our family, I don't think really sh is a family that shares emotion all that much or all that well. Um, I'd say we we we're part of that group that's sort of like everything's good, everything's fine in in some respects, even though we all have our own shit. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, do we want to do a total one eighty on topics and talk about growing up Catholic? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but I stay I tuned for the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> part two. Um, no, but I I agree, and I think that we. I mean in terms of like my own immediate family, um, I think we are a group of people who have a lot of love and respect for each other, but like don't necessarily talk about like big important things that often um, unless we like absolutely have to. And I think only at that point it's like crisis mode and it's not just like, right. hi, how are you feeling on any given random day about these like heavy things we're all carrying with us? That's like not words that have ever been spoken in the in the Dunn and Kelly household. Um, so, but it's it's interesting, especially like if we're putting this in the context of like our 
like growing up within our sexuality. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting that you mentioned like sort of the internalized homophobia or externalized um, is like not something we talk about a lot. Um, and it's something, it's interesting because like, it's something I think about a lot. Um, and, but like not something I talk about a lot, like with friends, with family, like really kind of like with anybody. Um, and I feel like you and I in particular have like had these moments of like joking about it. Um, <laughs> because like, if we want to, if we want to unpack another topic, um, like <laughs> humor as deflection, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't think that, I don't know, like, I don't think my family has, like, actively been, like, a part of my struggle, but sort of, like, they've almost been, like, implicit in it just by, like, the nature of how we grew up, if that makes sense. And it's, like, no, yeah, like, nobody has, like, actively done anything, like, you know, we're not burning crosses on our front lawn or anything, but, like, I think just, like, keeping the status quo at like with growing up has sort of like been complicit in this kind of like internalized and very externalized struggle that I know I went through. And I think that like your experience was very similar as well. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like it, it is so passive the way that people's ideas about how others should live manifest themselves like in your world and in your mind like I think I think that for our family members never did I ever feel like people were actively against me at all but maybe the way that we sort of passively all went about our lives and talked about our lives and our goals for our lives were were ways that I felt like oh I'm different and thus there's something wrong with me you know, I feel like it, it wasn't anything that somebody said to me directly, more just, I think, the environment around my life a little bit. Yeah, and I think that, I think that, like, at least I, in terms of, like, in terms of, like, an internalized thing, like, just grew up, like, in fear of being different, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I think, like, unfortunately for, like, my case, like, went hand in hand with like this like deep deep rooted part of my identity um which like again it wasn't like you know I didn't have like parents who were telling me daily that like you know being gay was wrong or anything but like right I went to Catholic school and I like just grew up in this family that you like you follow the path and you do the thing and if you don't do the thing like you're different um, like my brother would always joke that like we grew up in a Norman Rockwell painting, which like <laughs> isn't like wrong. <laughs> but yeah, it's just yeah. like, and it and it's it's also interesting that like now as an adult, I realize that like I was struggling with so many things, but like other people in my family also were struggling with like their own different things. But like again, we just like weren't talking about it. Like nobody was saying like this is what you have to do, but you were just like looking around at the example of the people who came before you and you were like oh this is what I have to do to like be normal and like the minute I realized that I was different because of like you know who I was sexually attracted to that like that was going to be a big roadblock 
eventually to at, living like, that at path point yeah. in my life. Yeah. That yeah. like yeah. sticking with the quote unquote status quo was like going to get me in trouble. Or like mm-hmm. going to be like going to be an issue. Yeah, or like going to be harmful for you, even, yeah. you know, yeah. on, on like yourself and your own psyche. So yeah, I think there's so much to hit on this topic, you know. So we have a lot sort of planned talking about internalized homophobia. And I think some people who listen to this podcast might be more familiar. If you're queer, I think it's inherent in you, um, unless you grow up in such a loving and supportive household that you're able to sort of move beyond some of this stuff. So so when we come back, we're going to define what internalized homophobia means, highlight some examples in our own life and in and, and society. Um, and then we'll start to really get into the weeds on on how it manifests itself, I think, in, in us and in our experience. So uh, stay tuned. I think it's going to be a really good episode today. Okay, and we are back. Uh, so in this segment of the episode, we wanted to talk about what is internalized homophobia, what impacts does it have on queer culture, and then share some personal examples. So just as a, as a definition, um, internalized homophobia happens when LGBTQ plus people are subjected to negative stereotypes, stigma, and prejudice about queerness, and subconsciously turn those ideas inwards, believing that they are true. Uh, researcher James Locke defined it as the self-hatred that occurs as a result of being a socially stigmatized person. So it's all about um, queer people's own internalized shame and how that impacts our community um, and impacts the way we interact and impacts our own ideals around what a relationship is. I think for me, there's, there's a clear tie between heterosexual expectations for us and the way that I feel I should live my life, or at least that thing that nags me inside my brain that tells me how to live my life. So um, that's just sort of the the definition of it. Um, but I think um, a couple like real life impacts on queer culture, um, and, and if you're queer, you've probably heard these things many times, maybe not categorized in this way, um, but if you're, if you're not queer, I would say that some of these things might be a little bit confusing to you. So always reach out and always ask a queer person if you have a question. So, um, couple things. Uh, the first is I think internalized homophobia of, of, of a masculine identity and a feminine identity. That's the most overt one that I see, you know, um, because for me, um, being queer, there's always an, an expectation that like, oh, or, or I, I'd say the old expectation, but still I think carries through with many of us is, is like that you can't be too feminine. You have to be masculine. You have to be the strong one. You have to provide for the family. Men don't cry. Men are, you know, like men are the breadwinners. There's all these, these things that I think are, are, are quote unquote normal to people in a heterosexual relationship or expected because they're shared so much in pop culture or shared as examples in our own life of of what's being masculine and what's being feminine what are those gender roles and and how does one sort of play into that and if you are a queer person who finds yourself playing into that stuff like 
the playing into ideals that really don't make sense for you. Like there's naturally going to be a little bit of self-hatred. Like you hide maybe some more feminine parts about yourself and your interests. So that's one thing. Um, and Andrew, I would love to get your thoughts on some of that stuff, like of, of being sort of masculine expectations when it's okay to show that you're feminine or not, or when you feel, I guess that it's okay to show your, your feminine side, which is, I hate even saying stuff like that because like, that's just so is not, the experience I want to channel, but it is something that I think defined me as a child, you know, and I don't know if you found that too, of like what activities are, you know, masculine in nature, like a sport and what things are feminine in nature, like something creative, like theater. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's just interesting that um, like we're still having this conversation now, like um, as to, out queer men like in like relative adulthood that like you know we're still unpacking this idea of like masculinity and femininity and like sort of like the binary between those two things um not to like use like a buzzy word there but um I just in terms of like my experience I think I think it was really interesting that I kind of post coming out still was like very much faced with a lot of those like binary challenges in my like out life as a queer man because I think from the like perspective of the closet you're sort of you're you kind of spend your whole life like repressing some of those like more quote-unquote femme parts of your identity and then you're kind of like well great like now that I'm out and now that I'm sort of you know integrating my identity more and and being more true to who I am like all of those fears and anxieties should go away and if anything like they've multiplied <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah and I think that like we're fed this sort of gender role binary whatever you want to call it like narrative as children um and like as young queer kids you're like oh I and like to go back to kind of what I was saying before about like no one is like explicitly telling you these things are wrong, but you're just like you have eyes and you can look around and be like, oh, this is this is what's expected and this is what's not expected. And then as you sort of integrate that with like, oh, well, I am like a clearly a queer person. So like maybe these more like quote unquote femme parts of myself are okay. And then like you get to this point of integrating those, you get to this point of coming out and then you're like, great, I can be whoever the fuck I want to be. And then still the world, even like the queer world is telling you like, oh no, there's still a right and wrong way to do this. And that to me has like been the most eye-opening thing since coming out. It's like, oh, there is like, there's still a lot of shame here. Um, And that Mm -hmm. like we as a community like still put a stigma on people who are like, ultra femme or people who are like ultra masculine or like whatever like it's still I don't know like it's it's still broken down and it's still like separated there's like high there it's separated there's like it's like I don't know if like hierarchy is the but like almost I mean yeah but it's also like a situational hierarchy which is like super frustrating but like all to say that like I think the most shocking thing in my own experience has been like, Oh, like these 
internalized feelings of shame like are not going away like Mm -hmm. even as i've like come to accept this identity and like you know come to like recognize who i like truly am and you know living an open integrated life it's like oh no a lot of these like internal struggle is like very much not going away that like yeah you know sort of like breaking the mold of the quote-unquote closet like is is like step one of like a thousand apparently (laughs) which like i think i I think as as like growing up you're like great life is gonna be perfect once i come out and now i'm out i'm like oh people like will still hate me if i'm too feminine (laughs) right right. and like and like other gay men right people people like within the own subset of my own community of like white gay men like oh there's like great we none of us have like tackled our shape this is this is good (laughs) yeah i think that's so it's it's so true we've we've talked about that a little bit in like our episode on queer media you know when we talked about coming out i also don't think i answered your question like at all so no i think you did because i i feel that like for me like just it's just typical examples of like things that are are stereotypically feminine like carrying a purse wearing heels doing your hair like uh being what what i think people probably called in the late 90s and early 2000s like metrosexual he's not gay he's metrosexual like this this i can't i can't but like that experience of like being just somebody who cares about their image because like oh yeah women typically are the ones that care about their image like you're those those like things i i find like constantly like still to this point nag me in the back of my head of like you can't carry a purse like even wearing a scarf is a little bit feminine you know like like little little pieces of how you express yourself and how you express not your gender identity literally expressing your own personality it has nothing to do with not, that not even that like if you're using the example of a scarf it's like no i physically want to be warm <laughs> yeah like wh- yeah. like why is that what like why is there why is there a level of like sexuality tied to like no i want to wear a scarf because it's cold out like right why have we right. gotten to this point where like literally everything seemingly has like like a a note of of like Like yeah a note of like gender a note of sexuality tied to it like like what (laughs) like i know that that to me is insane but like i 1000 percent find myself like buying into that of like am i to this am i to that am i not enough this am i not enough that and it's like constant and it's so interesting because like those are the thoughts i was having when i was like 12 Right. Yeah. And like yeah. I'm 30 now and I'm like still <laughs> like reaching for something in my closet and being like, oh, well, what are people, what is this going to say about me to the outside world? Whereas like, right, those right. were like, that was the struggle I was having with myself at the age of like 12, 13, 14 of like, you know, don't do this activity because people will, will say this about it or like, don't do this because of like, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's like, it's insane to me that like, these are still struggles that I'm like having to have that like Mm -hmm. all come back to this like base level homophobia that like I 1000% like have myself. Like it's just, it's, 
you know it's mm-hmm. it's it's crazy um and like as a kid who grew up like being a swimmer and being interested in theater and like you know being interested in these activities that were like quote unquote not masculine enough or like too feminine or just like again like there was just always like a descriptor added to everything um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then like yeah i don't know so i don't yeah, well, I, I was going to just say that I agree, like, because I, I feel, I, and it, it's so hard to pinpoint because it hits you at so many various moments, but, like, I I feel that so much of it is tied to, I think, what you were starting to say a little bit is, like, what other people think of me, how the world per- perceives me, because there's so many areas of my life where I feel like, I don't care what people think. Like there's so many things that I do daily where I'm like, I, and I don't think it's tied to my queerness, but I think it's just like, I'm going to pursue this career path or this interest or start something or connect with a friend or stick up for somebody or donate to this cause that I'm like proud to do. And I, I, I do, you know, just because that's, those are like tied with my values. But for some reason, there's so much of like, the type of shoes, the colors, like the artwork that I hang on my walls that I, I, I feel like I, I I don't know if I consciously restrict, you know, I think I could unconsciously restrict because like, um, I just, I I feel like it's like, oh, do you ever really want to be too much? Mm -hmm. Are you really going to be too gay? Yeah. And it's like, that is not, that is literally my homophobia telling me like that there is such a thing as being too gay. And and that's what I was going to say is like, (laughs) what does that even mean? It doesn't even exist. Like, it doesn't even exist. Or like, if it yeah. does, like, who is setting that? Who is setting that definition? Like, no one, mm-hmm. except ourselves, mm-hmm. and it like literally doesn't exist. Yeah. But yeah. like, we've sort of grown up with this thought of like, there. We've grown up like being told that that does exist. Yes, and I yeah. think that like sort of that like people are, are extra people are too much people are too feminine that gays are the people in bikinis and and in parades and they're you know like waving rainbow flags and they're screaming into a void which number one there's nothing wrong with that and number but number two we were told screaming into a void <laughs> yeah yeah and number two number two we were told though that there was something wrong with that those people were too much that they weren't accepting that they were radical right so like we're constantly, I think, trying to remove things that other people might perceive as radical, right. you know, right. like from our lifestyle, because it's like, well, I just want to be pared down. I don't want to be too much. I don't want to be, now people are saying the, it's like the word extra or whatever. Like you don't want to be like extra, but I, I just feel, I feel like if I actually delved into like the things that make me happy, the outfits that make me feel most like myself, the haircuts and hair color and i like the the car even the car that i would drive like all the the little things the little choices that i make that feel like they're safe they're non-judgmental and they're not they're not choices that people are going to be like whoa whoa you know because you're already different right right. can you really be too different right and i think that but i also think like societally you know queer or not that like we just live in this world where people like just want to get by basically. 
and like they don't want to like stir the pot too much because like the minute you're like a pot stirrer, people like people start to come for you. And I think that that you're crazy, right? Yeah, right. Like, or like yeah. you're this, or you're that, or you're that, and it's like you're too much. Yeah. Like, and it just boils down to like, okay, so can nobody have opinions anymore? Um, right. Well, and I think part of the issue is that like we, so like each of us individually grew up, you know either being told or like self-telling ourselves that like we, you know, we're different, we're this, we're that, like we, you know, you sort of like when you're living in the closet, you're trying to like draw no attention to yourself whatsoever. Right. You're just trying to survive. Right. Yeah. And then you have all these people who grew up thinking that way, who are like now coming out as adults and are like living in this world now suddenly surrounded by other people who also were feeling like repressed their whole lives. And it's like, you're sort of like, kind of like, I guess, conditioned to judge that. So then like, you're like, you're, you know, you're living your life as an out person. And then you see somebody else who like, comparatively is like, quote unquote, extra. And your initial gut thought is to judge that. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, we're all sort of doing that. I don't think we all realize we're doing that. And then like, you put all these people into a community. And then it just becomes this community of judgmental people who like, maybe they're just like bad people at baseline. But like, I think a lot of it is just like, no, this is like learned behavior of like years and years and years of being told like, you're wrong, you're different, you will never be loved, like you will never be accepted. And then when they are amongst people who like are willing to love and accept them, still their gut reaction is to be like, no, I have to put you down because you're different. Right. And I think that's when like, that's been like a very shocking thing, like as an adult who is like out in this community of being like, oh, we're like, we're all still conditioned to like baseline, like hate the idea of being different. Mm-hmm. A bit hate the idea of, of sticking out, you know, like people not fitting into the mold of like, what a gay is right, you know right. or the, what a good gay right. is and it's like yeah. you you grow up like being told by straight people like this is what gay people are and then like mm-hmm. you come out and you like have the chance to like make that definition for yourself but like again it's just all this like learned behavior that like at least i have found like is very hard to break out of yeah yeah well that's what i think like i think i've i've tried to find ways that I can still pursue I I think I do a good job actually I'll give myself a little bit of credit of pursuing things that I like and pursuing things that I'm interested in um but most of those things are not really tied to my queerness at all I don't think I've explored much into my homosexuality at all like I think the ways that I have have been through just like I don't, I literally don't even know. Like, Like, I I feel like I'm just, because it's so easy to just be a token gay friend in any situation. But like, I don't think what you're saying is a bad thing. Right. Like you you said, you are, you are like making specific strides to like, you know, explore things that make you happy. Right. Right. Maybe they're not like, you know, explicitly tied to your queerness in the sense that like, they're like not a stereotypical gay thing, but like, your queerness is like so linked to who you are as a person that like 
yeah, no matter what you're exploring, it's like you're further developing like your own sense of self that like, yeah, I don't think yeah. you're like, I don't think you're ignoring who you are by like saying like, I wish I could like be more queer, but like, no, I, I, I think that, I think that like posits that there like is a definition of being queer and like there isn't, but again, like, like we've been saying, like someone out there is telling us that there is a definition of this and like, and like, nobody knows what the, nobody knows what the fuck the definition is, but like, we're all like adamant <laughs> that we do know what we're talking about, you know, like, it's right. just, I don't know. It's, right. it's just like very weird adulthood struggle of like, how do I, I don't know. It's like, then, then that begs the question, like how tied to like my full deep identity is my queerness. Right. And, and that's, I think like, the 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 image of like what what i've seen as like someone who is a tip quotes typical queer like it started like when we were kids it was like the ultra femme person who was you know um like out in the streets like wearing little clothing or it was a drag queen you or know it was like jack like, from will and grace was like what it was, we right, were told was, right. was gay people for so long it's like ultra sassy you're you know like I, jack is like i don't think particularly a good person you know in that show like i don't think he's a bad person but he's certainly like no but like who like who he is as a human is like sassy and like bitchy and mm-hmm. like over the top and like all those things and there's like literally not a single thing wrong with any of those words that i just said but like in the 90s like that was the only way to be gay right exactly that that's and that's what was told to us as kids but now that i've i've been out like what i've started to see is things like okay well like there's a couple different groups of people who i would say think that maybe not think they have the truest definition of queer but play into a like version of of like queerness there's a queer stereotype that's the instagram gay and that's like super muscly beefy like always working out has a partner who looks identical to them uh that's narcissism i know Uh, yeah like i always call them like the pool party gays who like that's like your their whole life is like can i wear the least amount of clothes spend the most time in the gym and like just flaunt my body and nothing else right which makes me be like i'm not that my body sucks my you know like the clothes i have are not as great like am i living that true authentic queer experience and then i look at like the other side of people who are like so anti that because they feel that like that's the wrong way to be gay so like their way of being gay is like I don't do hookup culture. I don't do like, you know, like these like queer parties. Like I don't, you know, wear a speedo to show like, it's like, there's like two polar opposites there. And then we're doing this like mutual put down almost where like, if you're not part of a subset of the culture, you're like, well, that I, I am judging that. And then like the people that are in that subculture are also judging you for not being a part of it. And like, we've gotten nowhere basically. (laughs) Like right, we are right. just doing what has been done to us our entire lives. Mm-hmm. Like creating groups, creating classes, you know, like 
the just like you know many of pe- many people are familiar with like the white man being in power like it's exactly the same way in a queer community like the it, it, it's not but it feels that way like it's like they are the loudest they're the most present they're the most accepted by the straight community so well right they're like the most assimilated i guess um right yeah. but like yeah. yeah like there is there is very much a hierarchy and i think a lot of it is based on this like weird internalized like I guess it's homophobia. I don't like, I don't know. It's just this this, like weird sense that like I am different. Therefore I am better. Or like you are different. Therefore you are less than. I'm like always torn, you know, because I think the way that like my internalized homophobia manifests itself, like the most is just in my desire to like be perfect. And I've talked about this like a lot on this podcast, but I think like growing up, And thinking that something is wrong with you because you're different forces you to be like, how can I distract from this thing that everyone could see if I wore a rainbow shirt or if I wore high heels? So how can I distract from what that gay label is, that label that is so strong or felt so strong before you come out? Um, and sometimes still does. How can you distract from that? So can you be the best student? Can you be the funniest person in the room? Can you, you know, for me, I, I channeled a lot of that into swimming, you know, which I was never going to be the best at, but it was a sport that I could stay afloat in, you know, because it was non-contact and it was safe. Stay in your you own know. lane and nobody touches you. Right. 100%. Life is good. Life is good. And, um, you know, then putting that into debate, Um, putting that into the nonprofit stuff. It's like how it evolved in college. Um, And now I think just like putting it into, into work, nonprofit, this podcast, anything that I can do, I want it to be excellent and perfect, which is not reality. Um, And I think I present my flaws pretty much on display, but that doesn't mean that I'm okay with them. Mm -hmm. And I think because you're told for so long that like being gay is a flaw Uh, maybe not explicitly but implicitly because being different is a flaw like that you'll just do anything to be like look I might be gay but look at all these other things look at all these other trophies that I have look at all these other pretty things that surround my experience yeah like and like you can fix every other window in the house like maybe people won't look at like the one dirty one (laughs) exactly exactly and it's like being gay doesn't have to be a dirty one. Right. But like, well, but like, for some, right. And like, in yeah. the, in the context of like a closeted youth, like, that's what you're going to think. Mm-hmm. Or like, that's what you're mm-hmm. going to like assume. Yeah. And I, it's interesting because I think that like hearing, hearing your experience of all of those things, like, I think I had a lot of those same thoughts, but like, my, my execution was, far from stellar um when it came to those things so like i very much like tried to do the sort of like he has it all type of mentality that you were you were alluding to um like you know how can i always like be the funniest person in the room or like be the loudest person in the room or like you know be the best this or you know be the best x y or z but like i whereas like you i think very much like were very successful in a lot of those 
endeavors, I also like feel like as I like went on in life, like through high school and college that, um, that sort of like pursuit of like distraction almost like got the best of me a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And like, Mm -hmm. for me, it translated into like, I drank way too much in college because like, I didn't want to think about like, you know, this internal struggle that I was going through or like, didn't want people to like, be led into the fact that like there was something like massively wrong going on and not wrong, but like wrong in terms of like, like a very deep internal struggle. Um, mm-hmm. So like, but again, that was like, <laughs> I was going to be the best at something. And like, maybe that thing was like getting blackout drunk five nights a week because like, that was like my only option in terms of like, what could I put my energy to where like, no one's going to like think differently about me, I guess. Um, and yeah, I think, I, I just think it's interesting that like we are faced with these kind of external struggles that like are total manifestations of internal struggles. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I do think that a lot of people who grow up in the closet, like have that sort of like, perfection mentality um of like i have to make every other part of my life perfect so that like you don't recognize that like something wrong is going on um and i think like a lot of people do kind of what you do or what you did um and it's like i'm going to be the best at this i'm going to be the best at this i'm going to be the best at this and i feel like from my experience i tried that and then just like shut down um Hmm. and like it that struggle like totally got the better of me and translated into like i was a kid with like a borderline drinking problem Um, right right and like now that i'm you know an adult who has like come to grips with who i am and you know going through the coming out process like so much of my behavior or like choices that i made throughout high school and college were like 100% related to like being stuck in the closet. Um, Hmm. Like I pretty much 99% of the choices I made in life were like, because somebody in my family before me had made those choices. And it was like, I did not give myself the room to like have my own opinion or, you know, think that like I was capable of forging my own path because like, on some level, deep, deep down, I was like, okay, well, there's this massive thing that is like wildly different about you than all the other people in your family, like all of your close friends, which, you know, now I know not to be true that because a lot of my friends were going through the same struggle. Um, But it was basically like, do not do anything that's going to disrupt the status quo. So like, you know, I went to the same high school that my brother and my dad did. I went to the same college that my sister did. Like I did theater because my brother did. I, you know, I don't just like all of these like major life decisions that were totally made because like anything, like any type of decision I made was going to be looked at by myself with like more scrutiny because I was like trying to hide this massive secret. Um, And like, to me, it like that. I guess you could call it pressure, like totally won out. And I just sort of like 
rolled over and was like, sure, I will do whatever it takes to be normal. And like, I will be miserable the entire time, but like, no one's going to ask me any questions about it. Or like, no one's going to wonder what's going on with him. And it's like, you know, base or like borderline alcoholism is like, to me, more acceptable than like, oh, he might be gay. Right. That's wild. Yeah. And I, like, That's don't wild. know if I, like, fully realized that until I started talking, but, like, actually, no, I totally did. But, um, yeah, I think that, like, so many of the choices I made were, like, just, like, do not do anything that someone's going to question. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like I, one, thank you for sharing, because I don't think I fully knew the details of that. So thanks for, thanks for unpacking that. Um but I, I, I think I, and, and maybe I have like one of those problems like of symptomatic, like uh, glory days type of thing. But I think I, I, I view, when I look back at my life, I view it in stages. Um, and as you were talking, of course, uh, I'm always thinking about my own experience of how I can either like relate or not relate and how that maybe shaped us differently. Because I think about like, okay, like as a kid, it was like, boom, like do everything that everyone else is doing. And then it, you come to a decision point of where are you going to go for high school? I was like, all right, I'm actively consciously going to choose to go to a different school than my brothers because I don't want the same experience as them. Did I know it was because of queerness at the time? I don't think so. Also, my best friends were going to that school too, you know, so like there was a comfort, you know, in following where my friends were going. And then you go through high school and you're like, ah, I should do a sport. And then my one friend was like, who also now turned out to be queer was like, do mock trial. Mock trial is totally queer. You know, it's acting, it's theater. It's like studying the law. It's like, you know, being like a bad bitch objection, you know, like all of those things that I, that I love about being, <laughs> all of those things that I love about like being queer in that I can stand up for myself now that I can, speak my mind now that is totally something that i can you like can grandstand with the best of them <laughs> exactly <laughs> like and i think that that like shaped a passion that i had for just like healthy debate fair argument and just discuss discussing topics with people who have contradicting points you know but that is also like i think a, a, a stereotypically queer thing and then you get to college and then i feel like i was like okay i really well <laughs> I wanted to go to Scranton, which could you imagine if we had went to college together? Jesus Christ. No. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. We're very lucky that we became friends in adulthood in this way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, There's a lot I could say, but I won't. Yeah. So I chose to go to LaSalle, which where a lot of my siblings went. And when I first came out, being that I was 18 years old, I was like, so scared because my sister went to the school at the same time as me. She didn't live on campus, which gave me some freedom. But at a school as small as LaSalle, it takes one person, you know, to say, oh, he's gay. And then it gets to somebody else and it gets to somebody else. And it probably did. But she did a great job of not bringing it up with me um, and letting me come to her six years later. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. timelines don't matter. Uh, Timelines don't matter. Um, but yeah, so like coming out at, at 18, I felt like it was like, okay, yes, I'm gay. I'm now like 
the one gay kid in the honors program uh, at that time. So it's like, hello, I'm here, you know, and nobody else was out. Mm-hmm. Like there ended up slowly spilling out people over the years. But like, I don't, and I always feel like I came out late, but as you were speaking, it made me wonder, I know, I know, like it made me wonder if like, because, because I was like, I always encountered a new stage of my like queerness as I was going through a large life change, like, did that make it not easier? Cause I never want to say something was easier or harder for somebody, but did it make it like more comfortable for me? Because I was sort of like taking this thing in stages by the time I finally got to work, I was like, all right, now I'm, I'm in corporate America. So I have to sort of like, buckle down the gayness because you just have to have a bland personality being in corporate America. But then it was another five years of growth since I hit that stage. So I feel like each time I've encountered a part of my queerness or or something that was going to allow me to live something more diverse than what my example was, I felt like it maybe that made it a little bit easier for me because I was going through so many other radical changes at that time. And I don't know, like, I don't know if if that's true. I've never really framed it that way until speaking that right now. But that's like where my mind was going while you were talking. Yeah, yeah. And I think from, from my own experience that like, I gravitated towards radical life changes to further like quell down my gayness, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was like, yeah, it hit the point where I was probably like 22, 23. And I was like, why am I so miserable? So it's like, <laughs> let me fix all the other like major boxes, check boxes in my life. And like, maybe that'll fix it. And then like, once all of those things were like, fixed or dealt with, and I was like, still baseline, very miserable. It was like, oh, okay, this is you have to address something like, pretty big. Um so I sort of like hid behind radical life changes, I think, um, as like a way to like further like bury my identity crisis that I was going through, which like yeah was something I had like fully been going through since I was like 12, but it was just like you, you find ways to like either quiet the voice or like uh, not even like I think I just I think I didn't even have the words for it for a long time and then yeah, like, you, yeah you have the words but you're like not willing to say them or like you call them something different and then or like you tell yourself it's a phase and then but it's like all of this is just like I hate who I am and like mm-hmm. how do I how do I like bridge that gap between like knowing who I am like kind of in a lot of ways hating it and also like living a life that like isn't going to be miserable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and that's where I go ahead. No, I was just going to and and I like and I don't know like other people's experiences but for me it just got to a point where like the thought of life as a lie like became so overwhelming that like even if I like truly was not okay with who I was like I had to come out basically and like the thought of like living in the closet was like would get like physically overwhelming I would like get short of breath like I would like 
basically like have like panic attacks essentially and which then was like okay this is not sustainable so like yeah this other thing might be a struggle and like you might like at baseline like hate a lot of who you are but like one of the like something has to give and like it was like living a lie for me was like what had to give Um, yeah even though there was like this still very much like a very active sense of like that internalized homophobia was like very much alive but that I don't know I guess like living a lie outweighed that and it was like great I will like I'll deal with this like baseline hatred of myself later I have to like I have to publicly come out yeah that's that's really interesting because I I don't I don't know and and sometimes I wonder if I'm just a person who looks as I sort of said like if I look back on the past with like a positive perspective Mm -hmm. like but it it might not have been all that positive but I feel like lucky that I came out in such a safe environment even though people were dicks it was still in the grand scheme of things safe at the grand scheme it was safe it was college there was nobody around I could be free to experiment as much as I could even though like I didn't really like it was like I kissed more girls than guys just because it was like ah, I'm gonna channel this this way you know like that's like join the club <laughs> yeah like that part feels so far to me right. you know being like openly gay and hooking up with girls like but I <laughs> like I feel like that component of my life was so safe because like every everything was secret but it was it was a large secret because there were people who were in on it i had a gay world and then i had a straight world because my parents didn't know until three years later well, and it's also helpful so that I feel like, college is like this non-life life basically like you yeah know, college is such a bubble in itself that like for then you to for you to like then have the space to like create another bubble within that like already sort of like fake environment sounds very liberating yeah yeah and i i think it was liberating in terms of like my comfort with physicality with other men you know like i I think that that like level of intimacy i felt comfortable with but now like now on the outside now that that bubble's gone and blended together i do sometimes feel like i'm in a very similar place to where you are even being married you know there's just still things I'm not proactively exploring about my queerness, even though I have you, I have Kathleen, I have Jack. Um, and I would say like, those are some of the, the closest people in my life who are also queer. And like, but I feel like, am I like actively pursuing things that feel stereotypically queer, whether they are or not, whatever. Cause mm-hmm. again, we still don't know how to define that. Um, there are still so many things I want to try and pursue and, 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 in that like queer space that I'm just not, you know, like I, I, especially I think with like how I dress and I don't know why I feel like that right now, maybe because we are sort of stuck at home a bit more than normal. Um, But like with, with like the anxiety and the depression, the self-loathing, like the feeling of never good enough, the feeling, the fear of failure, like all of those things never really, impacted me in such a way that it halted me from exploring things and now I feel like I'm maybe maybe there's more of an opportunity to explore some of that stuff where I can be 
a little extra. I can be a little bit too much, which like, I feel like some people in my life would say I already am, but like, I, I don't like, that's their definition of me. Like not, not the definition of myself that I want to pursue, right, you know, right. like of what I want to do. For but me like, too. you've also so like done a lot of that work that you were just talking about, like already. And now you like have the opportunity to like further integrate those parts of yourself. Yeah. 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 Whereas like, I feel like, I and I don't feel this as much anymore but like as somebody who came out very later in life um at the age of 25 having been in a very serious almost four-year relationship with a woman um that like almost led to marriage I like have spent so much of my life as like out of the closet feeling like very behind um yeah and I like (laughs) talk about shame I for like when I first started dating for like the longest time I would either lie or like just not tell people when I had come out Hmm. Um, Hmm. because I feel like that's a very like first date conversation of like a hundred percent of like hi the conversation is dwindling so like let's tell our really tragic coming out stories um yes and I share that on the unpacking coming out episode because yes like I said the same thing like I knew Jack was special because we didn't talk about right. that. It is such a stereotypical first date. Like, if there's nothing else, let's talk about this one thing we know we have right. in common. The traumatic like, Yeah, we've all been through shit together. Like, um, But I carried a lot of internalized shame about that, of like feeling like I was behind or feeling like I was wrong or feeling like I just like hadn't done the thing right because like I was like almost married to a woman um and didn't come out until I was like almost 25 um actually I think I might have been just shy of my 26th birthday I don't know it was in the winter time so it was probably just before it was was the day after New Year's um at that point it was 50% of the life you had lived like it was like it was if it start, if those feelings started at twelve right, and you were twenty five, right. it was you know, it was like, it was late. We'll say that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I like again, just like this. No one was telling me that I did this wrong, and like no one was telling me that like I was unjustified in in coming out late or whatever. But I something was telling, like some sort of internalized shame was telling me that like even like I did all the work to like make this like wonderful massive decision to come out and like my first thought was like yeah but you didn't even do that right <laughs> yeah but it was too late yeah, yeah. like okay <laughs> too late you're late yeah, yeah good for you but um party's over sis um, <laughs> yeah. so it's like it's crazy that like like that was like the best decision i ever made in my life and i still and i still, still like i still connected shame to it for some reason um and like I still connected this like hatred of my experience to it. And I'd like like I said, like five years later, like I don't still don't feel that as much, but like there are instances of like, oh, but like, oh, I wish I had done that differently. Or like, like, I wish I'd done that. But what I have learned or what I have come to realize is that like like I was saying before, I like all of these like major life decisions I made based on people who had come before me and like I made based on like keeping up this status quo so like I 
I went to Scranton, which was like small. And my sister had gone there and a lot of people I knew from high school had gone there. So like, it was this environment that like by design, like forced me to stay in the closet because I was like surrounded by people who knew me and like people knew my family, people knew like where I was from, people from high school knew me. Like there wasn't any shot of like being my own person. And now as an adult, looking back on that, like that is so stifling, but like, I think that on some level, like those decisions were like very like, what's the word I'm trying to for me, those decisions were like necessary. Right. You know? Right. Like I yeah. like out of like self-preservation, I was like, go to these yeah. places that are gonna like force you to stay closeted. Um, and I like very often think that had I gone like away for school, I would have come out in college. Yeah. Um yeah. because like I have never in my life, even now, like I live in the same city that I grew like essentially grew up in. Like I have never like been in a place in my life where like nobody knows me and I can like fully create my own identity for myself, which like for years was like stifling, but necessary. And now that I'm like this, like out person, I'm like, great. I like actually have the ability to like decide who I want to be, but like, I'm still sort of surrounded by like, these people who have known me forever. So it's and, like, it's like, right. And you, to, so, and you are still the person that you right, are. Right. Right. And, like, yeah, and yeah. not to say that like, you know, who yeah. I am has changed, but it's like, how do I reconcile like living this like stifled life for so long now being like out and like fully integrated and fully happy, but like still sort of carrying shame with that. Like mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting. And like I said in the beginning, like it's, it's wild to me that like, I'm still thinking these thoughts as an adult who like is out and is comfortable with himself and is accepted and loved by the people in his life. But like, I'm still on some level, like, shouldn't I be feeling shame for this? Or like, shouldn't Mm -hmm. I, shouldn't Mm -hmm. I hate this? Or like, you know, and it's, it's, I think a product of just like how we treat each other in this community. I, I totally agree. And I have that same inkling that it could be different elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Like I could form, a, a, a truer me elsewhere because where I struggle so much is very much tied to the perfectionism of perfectionism often creates expectations that people have for you. And because you're so trying to be perfect, you're trying to be a perfect friend. You're trying to be a perfect coworker. You're trying to be a good manager. You're, you're trying to be a good sibling. You're trying to be funny. You're, there's all these things you're constantly striving to be. People recognize that and see that as part of your personality. And they love that about you. But like, at some point you get tired and you can't meet their expectations. And even if they're okay with you not meeting their expectations or they say, I have no expectations, you still feel like you failed them. Yes. And that for me is the weight that I feel I carry by living in the same place from my whole life. Like, because I haven't had a chance to form an identity beyond the environment I've been surrounded by my whole life. And that is not to knock the amazing support system that I have. I, I, I cannot say that enough. Because I don't think that people consciously realize 
the expectations I put on myself. So how could I possibly be mad at them for not fulfilling their expectations that they might not even have? But it's that pressure. It's that feeling. It's that like, well, Paul is this and Paul has to be this. And so Paul needs to be this for everyone as I annoyingly talk about myself in the third person. No, I t- but, or like, or Paul was that when he was 15 and like, therefore right. I have this preconceived notion of who Paul is because I've known him since the day he was born. Right. And I'm like, girl, you don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 bitch, I can take multitudes. <laughs> yeah. Like, like you don't even know. Like it's like, like there's, there's, and again, I'm saying you to people that don't exist. No, I, like, know I, I know what you mean. I'm saying you to me, but like, like you don't even you don't even know like what you could do. You don't even know what you could create. Like you don't even know the type of person that I could be or the impact that I have. I could have. Like, what if I was one of these? Oh God, I'm doing a what if. But like, what if I was one of these people that like moved to um, an area of the country that was totally different? I didn't know anybody. I didn't have like any preconceived no- notion around who I am or what I should experience or what I should look like or what I should dress like. And what if I did something? great and like i know how many people just roll their eyes because they're like paul like you already do so much great like you're you're already but like but that's not that's that i do not compare myself to who i am today i i think about and that's my own (laughs) girl fuck really unpacking like starting to sweat i'm thinking about i'm thinking about like god who could i be if i didn't have all this baggage surrounded by me and and that's what is it's it's not like who I who could I be in comparison to who I am now? But it's just like if you remove this like expectation that we seemingly carry with ourselves, like what am I capable of? You know, and I think yeah. I think a lot of that for you and I is tied to like being like growing up as a product of like our family and our environment, which like, you know, like we have alluded to, like was very loving, but like you and I are the only queer people in our family. So like, you know, we've always been the different ones on Mm -hmm. on some level or in, in some capacity. So like when you take that away from things or when you take that away, like who would I be? Right. Um, Right. That's something I think about all the time. And, and, I uh, I read this book last year, and I think I told you about it. But um, a book called the Velvet, yes. a book called the Velvet Rage that my therapist it was it was in one of the articles I sent you about this podcast. Oh, really? I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just to show I did my homework before this. Yeah. So the Velvet Rage. So a ahead. book called the Velvet Rage, and it was it's a book about like basically how we as gay men like grow up different and like grow up with all of this shame, and then like how does that shame manifest itself? in adulthood and there was a whole chapter about this like trend among gay men who come out leave their leave everything behind and like go to this new city or new setting or new whatever to like forge a new identity and on some level I was like reading that and I was like getting this like wanderlust for this thing that I had never experienced Um, yeah because like yeah, you know, like, how do you, you know, staying in the place that you, in the same place you were in when you were forging an identity in the closet versus, like, how do you then, like, 
bridge that identity with like who you actually are and it would just be so easy i think to just like run away but then also like at the same time i think about like no that is just kind of like running away from your problems so like it is this back and forth between like you know do i do i run away and forge this new identity or do i like stay and like face the reality of like who i actually am in the face of these people who have a preconceived notion of me uh, right and the the book kind of like because like the book kind of like, comes like down, i am 28 right right like i'm i'm 30 i'm not like creating a new life for myself any any right. time soon um right the book but the book kind of like comes down on people that do that because he the author sort of posits that it's like a running away almost um hmm. which is interesting that it's it's this kind of shame of being who you are amongst these people who think you are one thing a really easy way to deal with that is just to run away from it um mm-hmm. whereas like i think as like maybe stifling as it has felt for you and i to like stay in the same place like i do think that's where like a lot of the real work of like fully understanding my identity has come if that makes sense yeah, it does. Um, like my initial gut reaction is to disagree with the author, you know, because like, don't tell me that it's not going to be better if I can't start fresh. Right. But I just think like being 28 years old, it's not that it's, it's too, it's, it's not like it's too like what, like uh, too soon to start over or too late to start over like i don't believe that mm-hmm. because people have started over in various places and and i don't think i'm trying to start right over. i also don't think in our environment uh being that people are connected virtually so much that it's even possible to start over can you escape a group chat can you escape instagram can you escape like what really would you need to do right. to, to fully start over and explore yourself totally new because as a 28 year old, I'm like, Oh, I'm not like being like, I'm 21. I'm going to go to college right. and start fresh and be who I want to be. I'm like, bitch, you're, <laughs> you're an adult. Like, like, right. like, I'm like, what, like, what is this? Eat, pray, love all of it. <laughs> like, so like anytime I have those like wanderlusty feelings, I'm like, no, like again, like you said, like, you're a fucking adult. Like you have bills to pay and rent, rent is due. And like, you have a job and there's an expectation that like, you know, you go to your job. <laughs> Maybe, but yeah, I, I, it is, it's so ridiculous, but I also think that I'm like, wait, number one, like, I, I, I think, like even building upon that, I guess I'll say like, not, not I won't contradict. I'll say even building upon that. It's like, okay. Like my friends are amazing. My family's amazing. Everyone loves and supports me, but like is queer me living itself to its fullest is that part of my identity living itself to its fullest can it here like or would i just disrupt and upset people like should i care like maybe but like uh, probably not but i'm like i don't know there's like because because both you and i wherever we go we make a huge impact on the people around us like i'm I have come to terms with that, even though I don't like saying stuff like that. I recognize myself as like an an in person influencer. <laughs> you just wanted to like, be an influencer all your life, 
right yeah but like i i have this like issue you know of just like wherever i go i invest myself so fully that everyone gets to know me pretty quickly and so changing what they know about me feels really hard and so pursuing different things and pursuing different hobbies and interests etc in a new place feels so much easier agreed it feels so much easier and then i could come back and be like look i'm this way or i don't even have to but yeah because the environment around me is the one that created the internalized homophobia i have escaping might be nice but i'm also like that author probably knows a lot more (laughs) yeah it was it was interesting to like hear him basically be like all of those things that like all of those exact things that you just said like in his mind like you're overcompensating (laughs) is like basically what he says is that like you grow up being told that like who you are is unacceptable and like then that sort of snowballs into like great well i'm never gonna be loved for who i am so like i'm gonna fix like kind of like we said before like i'm gonna fix all of the other parts of my life because like who i am is not acceptable and it like a lot of what he talks about was like such a mirror of what you and i talked about of like who we were in high school and who we were in college of like how how can we be perfect and then you come out and you're like oh now i have a whole new community that i have to be perfect in yeah um and like in his mind all of those all of that behavior is just like an overcompensation for like this deep-seated hatred of who you are as a person yeah because of your sexuality um it's a hundred percent i mean that that part the way that you just simplified it is so true but like there's no there's like i don't know no one has an answer to it is like the 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 problem and like you know the guy the the gay guy that moves to a new city and like totally like flourishes in in his identity like maybe he was living in a house that like literally his dad would have killed him if he had like you know been who he was but then it's like you know i never experienced that so like why what am i running from like i you know i'm i'm grew up in a very loving environment so like what do i have what do i have to run from but then it's also like at the same time i'm like ah maybe like a little bit of an escape would be nice i i feel you no i i i want to go but i i i think that that escape is nice and like as as you were talking i was just like imagining like what mine would look like if i if i could you know if i did like how would I dress? How would I act? What things and hobbies would I pursue? Would it be real, you know, like, or would it be a facade of me, like actively trying to do it versus like, what if I just did those things I'm thinking about right here, right now in my own life? Mm -hmm. To your point, is that more impactful? Is that more genuine? Right. Because this is your environment. This is your life. And, and living... And it's not bad. Right. It's great. Right. So, like, can you can you be the person you want to be in the great life that you have? Right. And right now, I think my internalized homophobia says no. Right. It's right. fit the Whereas, mold. Like, it says fit the mold. Even though I don't feel like I fit the mold at all, there's still parts of me that I'm like, boop, nor do you're in the mold. Right. And I'm and I'm sure because I feel the same way. Like, 
I feel so much less of that need to do that, but like, it's still so much easier to just like fit a mold anyway. Mm -hmm. Like it's not out of necessity anymore, but I still am like, well, yeah, but it's just easier. Yeah. Yeah. Which like, where's that coming from? I don't know. Yeah, and again, I think it's just all. <laughs> Who's that voice? Yeah, I think it's all just like yeah. learned behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Learned behavior of, of totally what's acceptable, mm-hmm. what's not. Well, I feel like we unpacked a shit ton. So need, why don't we a take break. a quick break? <laughs> yeah, let's take a quick break, uh, and then we'll be back to unpack a little bit more and close out. Cool. So, thanks for listening, everyone. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Um, so we're going to close out now. But before uh, we close out, you know we love to do a, a little bit of on-the-fly research around other examples of internalized homophobia. Because I feel like we talked a lot about our experience, but I want to make sure we're encompassing of other people's experience. So um, I found this article from The Rainbow Project. Um, and that's a nonprofit organization that provides services and support um, education around um, queer, queer youth, uh, queer adults, just sort of like queer things in general. Highly recommend checking them out. Um, but they posted an article around the definition of internalized homophobia and some examples of how it manifests itself. So I wanted to run down the list. We have 25, which seems like a lot, and maybe we won't cover every single one or we'll sort of cover them all like back and forth. Um, so um, they said that a general sense of personal wealth and a positive view of your sexual orientation are critical for your mental health. You, like many lesbian, gay, and bisexual people, may have hidden your sexual orientation for a long time. Research carried out in Northern Ireland into the needs of young LGBT people in 2003 revealed that the average age for men to realize their sexual orientation was 12. You're right on. Um, Yet the average age they actually confided in someone was 17. 25. (laughs) I was 17. So I'm an outlier in some aspects. Yeah. Um, It is during these formative years when people are coming to understand and acknowledge their sexual orientation that internalized homophobia can really affect a person. Between 12 and 17, I think that it goes beyond. So I'm already going to disagree. Oh, very much. Very much so. (laughs) So just go away on your 17th birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so it says internalized homophobia manifests itself in very ways. Thirty here, all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, God, that's so real. Um, so number one, denial of your sexual orientation to yourself or others. Check. Ding ding ding. Uh, number two, attempts to alter or change your sexual orientation. I don't think I ever um, pursued that. I mean, in what? What do they elaborate? No. Oh, yeah. Right. Good. <laughs> really, just a one sentence thing here. Yeah. Like, I didn't go to conversion therapy. Yeah. It's like, is that what they're getting at? Um, I mean, no. Because I think, I think more people are akin to just hiding it rather than changing it. Changing like, I think it, even yeah. if I was like, you know, actively pursuing women, I knew deep down that I was actually gay 
Right, yeah. Even if it was like not consciously processing in the moment, I still was like, well, I'm gay, but I can't be that, so I'm going to date her. Right, and I think even like when I was like, oh, I'm going to have a life of like, you know, doing the hetero thing, I like, I knew deep down that it wasn't like, I wasn't ever going to be straight. I was just going to be like publicly straight, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah. I totally feel the same. Yeah, so I never tried to change. Just change the outward perception. Um, Number three, uh, internalized homophobia manifests itself in feeling like you are never good enough. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, that goes well beyond 17. (laughs) We've covered that one. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And number four, um, engaging in obsessive thinking and or compulsive behaviors. Snaps for agree. Retweet. Retweet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I mean, I definitely think obsessively. I don't know that I've ever thought it's tied to my queerness, but. Well. Mm, I mean. But compulsive behaviors. Yeah. Oh. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think. I think I suffer from intrusive thoughts, but I've always linked that to my anxiety. Rather than Same. like to my queerness, but like maybe they're all holding hands <laughs> in some <laughs> fucked up circle of trust. <laughs> all right, just took a step, I think. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're all like just sitting in your brain, like playing ring around like the road. They're like up there while I'm like, "Hi guys, um, let's not be <laughs> all of those things all at once." Um, <laughs> Can we calm down? No, I definitely, th- I definitely think they're like linked, and I think the, I mean, if we're gonna talk like compulsive behavior, I, I mean, I think all the things we talked about before of like the perfectionism or like you know the more dangerous activity of like drinking, and I think a lot of, I think a lot of gay men are are sort of at risk of of drug addiction and and alcoholism and and things like that. And I think because it's like so much work to hide so much of yourself that you're just like, I need an outlet and I need it right now. And I think like a quick fix, like something compulsive is very easy for a lot of us. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, Okay. The next one is um, underachievement or, (laughs) or even overachievement as a bid for acceptance. Wow. Drag me article. (laughs) Um, low self-esteem, negative body image, different podcasts. Um, a lot to talk about, but yes, yes, triple yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that because like society has now unrealistic expectations for the way that gay men are shaped and look and present and all that. Um, I suffer from that. Oh, There's thousand percent. Comparison in stomach size, uh, hair, uh, beards, uh, chest hair, dick size, your how much you work out. Everything. Like I think I, it's the big. It's one of the biggest things. Well, and I, I think it's like, I don't think it's any coincidence that like the most popular app for gay men, aka Grinder, like your profile is literally boiled down to your like statistics. Of like, how tall are you? How much do you weigh? What is your body type? What like, all, like we are literally like boiled down to numbers. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. how am I not going to wake up every day feeling 
awful about my body when like that is what is being presented to me or like that is Such that a is like that is like what i'm supposed to in terms of like like being like a desired partner like you want to know like a number so like yep. yeah yeah of course i'm going to feel shitty about myself yeah yeah that one is is extremely yeah. difficult for me even with a partner yeah oh yeah that's um, interesting the next one is contempt for the more open or obvious members of the lgbt community um i feel like i i had that i don't think i have that anymore like i maybe not as much like as i once did i feel like because it was like oh he's too gay oh he's too this oh he's too that i feel like i'm like i encourage people to live their life like they do although i may not live the way that i want to live and i think that i think that's like the important distinction is that like like yeah I may not, you know, run around the city in heels and awake, but like, I'm not going to like hate you for doing that. Um, yeah. Or like yeah. hate that it is your gayness that is making you do that or, or whatever the case might be. Like I, I see that. And I think I like did that for a while, but I think now the important distinction is like, okay, that's not how I express myself, but like, I'm not going to hate you for doing that. Yeah, I, do, I feel like I've grown in yeah, that. Yeah, but I do yeah, think that is yeah, a very sure. real aspect of it for a lot of people. Yeah, 100%. Um, the next one is contempt for those at the earlier stages of coming out. Uh, I definitely had that, I think. I think, like, because it, I came out as bi, like, a lot of people came out as bi, like, and you have this contempt of, like, oh, like, it's like, you're not really, you're just waiting until you're, which... You know, that's unfortunate for the bi community. Buy now, gay um, later. Buy now, gay later. Right. Like, we treat that like it's just a stepping stone. Like, it's so easy. And then you have contempt for the people that do that. And you're like, oh, please, you'll be here. And it sort of invalidates the bi experience, which is unfortunate. Um, but it does feel easier, I think, to to share that sometimes, which is, is sad. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, like I said before, as somebody who came out late, I, like, put personal shame on like being like being early in my coming out process. I don't think I've ever actively done it to somebody else, but like I did it to myself. So I totally believe that it's a thing. Yeah. I, I feel like I definitely did it to other people, like especially people who had not come out yet, but were clearly gay or people like I, I've, I, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but when I was, you know, young and single and in college, I hooked up with most the the people I hooked up with most were people who were uh, straight, quote unquote, or about to come out, or then they would, it were just curious, yeah. and then they'd come back in. I felt like I shamed them, yeah. you know, maybe not to other people as much, but I shamed it to them for sure um, by being like, fuck you, you know, because uh, of my own hurt right. feelings, you know, and my own internalized homophobia. Um. The next one is denial that homophobia, heterosexism, biphobia, or sexism are serious social problems. I don't think I have that. No, but like people are totally blind to that. Like, I don't you think, think I don't like, think, I don't think you and I are, but like I think a lot of yeah. people are like, oh, like, you know, homophobia doesn't exist. Like, bitch, yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I didn't yeah, I I am totally thinking through my lens, but yeah, it is like it's gay men who are so radically accepted by people around them that forget that other people don't have privilege. Like that's going on with 
that one of the queens on Drag Race right now, you know, like she said, like, it's such a privilege to be gay. And someone was like, fuck you. Where do you come from? Like, you may feel like it's a privilege because you have a loving and supportive family and a lot of money, but you didn't get kicked out of your home. That's not a fucking privilege. It's like, it's the same people who, it's like the same logic of like, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. Like, right. You're just like, by sort of like surrounding yourself with a certain aesthetic, you are able to convince yourself like that this problem yeah, doesn't so. exist. Or like, I can't, like I could never be homophobic. Like I have a gay friend. Like, no, you very mm-hmm. much can be. And like, you probably actively are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just by word, by, by, by way of exactly. saying that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, or like, I think, sorry, but I think like, I think another big issue is like, homophobia within our community um like i think and i know it's like very stereotypical but like it's also very real that like especially like white gay men like hating lesbians or like hating like trans men and women but at the end of the day being like well i myself am gay so like this isn't homophobia but like no it it, it is and like in like internalized within the context of like the internal community like maybe not personally internalized but like internalized within the bubble of our community like that is probably a whole nother episode but like that is very real too yeah i was gonna i was just thinking too like i feel like we did spend a lot of time speaking about that because we were speaking about our own experiences which i think is the point of this you know i don't i'm not criticizing us for doing that but it absolutely is a real thing the classism and then the internalized homophobia of hating other gay people within the same community it's not like yeah, I don't hate, I don't hate other gays, but maybe I'm like, oh, I hate that type of queer. Mm-hmm. I hate that type of queer. And it's not even, you would never, because they're smart enough to be like, to say that they don't hate them, but they're dumb enough to realize the way that they act and treat those people is they treat them second exactly. class. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, the next one is contempt for those that are not like ourselves or contempt for those who seem like ourselves sometimes distancing by engaging in homophobic behaviors like ridicule and harassment or verbal or physical attacks on other lgbt people that's uh that's that to me is like people who hold that shit well yeah i mean and that's like that's like you know the grade school bully who's bullying people because he himself is insecure like that's all that's all that is and like right Add to the list of another episode bullying yeah. within the queer community. Um, uh, also added to the list, projection of prejudice onto another target group. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we do that. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I feel like in high school, I was openly, like, openly against other gay people. You yeah. know? Like, because it, uh, hit, like, it hits I, too I, close I, to home. Yeah, I was like, ew, yeah, they are gross, yeah. you know, like, ew, they did come out, you know, like, even though I was still, like, friends with those people, mm-hmm. because, like, we all kind of found each other, like, when somebody finally took the step to come out, you're still like, ew, bitch, like, no. Which, yeah. like, at that point, is just fully jealousy. Right, yeah. Because yeah. you're like, oh, <laughs> you are a fully integrated human, and I am not, therefore, like, I'm, I am really you. Jealous. The next one is becoming psychologically abused or abusive or remaining in an abusive relationship? I mean, no personal experience with that, but like, that's definitely real. 
and like definitely <laughs> yeah. comes from a place of yeah. it. And I think it's just like again, it's just like learned behavior of like yeah. Well, if we want to get into it, like that is like when I talk about my issues with things like all gay sports groups, we'll say mm-hmm. without naming mm-hmm. names, Stonewall. Um, it's like you put a group of, of gay men together who their whole lives have been like put down or made fun of or bullied for their sexuality. And then you put them all in a group and they're naturally going to like fall back into classism and bullying because that is like what we have known. And it's like, you, you take the, you take the straight community out of it who like were our oppressors and like, we're naturally going to become our own oppressors because that is like all we have ever known. It's the only type of interaction we understand really well because it's the one that hit. And it manifests itself as bullying and psychological abuse. And I think sometimes physical abuse, but like, again, that is not something I have any experience with. So I'm not going to attempt to talk about at all, but I do think that those, all of these, like the last like four or five things that we've talked about are all just manifestations of like total learned behavior. Like when you were the victim your whole life and then you were suddenly like, quote unquote on top. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All you're going to do is just like see other people as victims. And I'm not saying everybody does this, but like, I think it's like the natural, like cycle of abuse almost. Um, Right. And you're, you're replicating the life that was like, put upon right. you you know because of who you right. are so you're just doing what right. you know rather than being like stepping outside and being like hey i am gay and our community is all about love and acceptance right. like why am i not embracing every single thing right. in person with right. open arms like- which i feel like that that's the stuff that i feel like <laughs> maybe it's because i'm like not that stereotypical gay like maybe it's because i'm not like and not that because again we we're, we've said many times we can't define right. what that right. means but like Maybe it's because I don't fall into some of those categories that like I can step back a bit. You know, I've never I've never been a cool popular gay. Right. You know, right. like I've never been in the community. Right. I've never I've never known what it's like to be at the top right. like in that way or feel that top, you yeah. know, like quote unquote, like whatever that is. Like and because, I, I feel because like honestly I, it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. Right. It's all bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. But yeah, I well, the next one. Uh, totally. And the next one is uh, number 13, attempts to pass as heterosexual, sometimes marrying someone of the other sex to gain social approval or in hope of being cured. <laughs> we'll just let that one speak for itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, increased fear and withdrawal from friends and relatives. Absolutely. Great. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so I hate this article. <laughs> Yeah, I hate this article too. Uh, the next one is shame or depression, defensiveness, anger or bitterness. Like, Skip. sure. Yeah, I'm depressed. <laughs> what more do you want from me, article? <laughs> uh, dropping out of school or workplace absenteeism. Ooh. Um, Again, not something I have experienced with. specifically, but... but I do find that I'm very good at not following through with things. AK like but that's like I mean again yeah. that is, like, yeah. that is yeah. like totally a product of you know transient depression but um, mm-hmm. that is like 
when I get like super depressed or super anxious, like that is how it manifests. Like I just cancel plans, like calling yeah. out of work yeah. or not going to class or like not showing up to things that I like had RSVP to or whatever, but, or basically just being like, hi, I can't get off the couch right now. And again, I don't necessarily have never necessarily viewed them as being tied to my sexuality, but like, I'm more so just like, oh, it's because I have depression, but I have depression because I went through this this (laughs) whole closeted experience. I don't know. Again, are they all playing Kumbaya up in my head? Probably. (laughs) I think the answer is yes. (laughs) Um, like my, uh, like the my death, therapist like, said to me last week, "You say the word guilt a lot," and I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> we don't have the time to talk about that." Okay, I don't pay you enough for us to talk about that. <sighs> the next one is um, continual self-monitoring of one's behaviors, mannerisms, beliefs, and ideas. Constant, constant. Okay, can you explain what that means? Yes. Um, again, less now but like when you're living in the closet not even that just like growing up it just being like so acutely aware of every single thing you do and say always yeah. and like yeah it was that yeah. i mean and you know you know that i am somebody who talks with my hands a lot but like even something like that just being like tone that down or like is that is that like thing i said gonna tip somebody off that like i might be struggling with my sexuality even if it's like really unrelated or like like saying something like dumb in a conversation and then like i will replay that conversation for years and like that person doesn't remember a single thing i said right i also i also replay it through sometimes through the lens of my like oh always oh i went too far i I go oh i went yeah or that was another big thing in college like I would wake up the next morning from like you know having been out or having been drunk or whatever and be so worried that I had like in my blackout like confessed to somebody that I think I might be gay oh yeah and like that caused so much anxiety for me I 100% I also because I went through the phase of like hooking up with straight men like, and I would also get, like, very blackout drunk in college. I'd be like, oh, I hope I didn't try to, like, kiss him last Constantly. night. Constantly. Which, uh, which is, like, awful to say because that's, like, totally predatory. But I felt like it was the it was the way I manifested myself because I hated right. myself. You know, it was just, like, I'm just, like, I'm drunk, so I feel safe. And someone's being kind and flirting with me. And then I'm like, oh, no, I didn't yeah. do anything. But there were absolutely times where I'd be like, did I, I, like, get super vulnerable and, like, essentially come out to this person last night yeah yeah or the other thing i would do in terms of like self-monitoring and i still do this to a little bit but i've like gotten much better about it but like i could be out anywhere and if i saw like two people in a distance talking i would immediately assume they were talking about me like these could be two humans who like don't know me at all but like yeah. If like I saw two people or like at a bar, if I like saw two people like in a whispered conversation, I would assume that they were talking about thinking that I was gay. Damn. Yeah. You really like that's like another level of yeah. paranoia. Yeah. Right? And like if yeah. they like at yeah. any way glanced my way or like were laughing, I was like, they're laughing about me. They, they think I'm gay. Yeah. Or like I just did something that like tips them off to being different. Yeah, I that constantly, I totally did that constantly. 
to the point now. I totally where, like, did that in high yeah, school. To the point now yeah. where like I still yeah. have to like sometimes remind myself like if I'm like on the subway or like at work or something like if I see two people talking like the chances of them talking about me are almost <laughs> zero. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of self-monitoring in that sense of like the world is constantly like looking at me and critiquing me when like literally no one was. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's, it's an interesting, that's not how I interpreted that. Cause I was like self-monitoring. Like, what does that mean? But yeah, it's like, Oh, I need to change my behavior. I need to change the way I use my hands. I need to change the way I talk. Like if in case I have like a little bit of like a, a, a flare to like my voice, you know, I need to like watch my shoulders, my body movement. And now I feel like I've, I've overcome a lot of that. Cause I like, I literally am like so gangly when I speak, you know, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, it's, it's, the next it's not is, something we have to think about anymore, which is good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. I feel like I'm like, I've tackled internalized homophobia in some ways. And then there, I'm realizing to the rest <laughs> of this, like there's a lot I have not um, clowning as a way of acting out society's negative stereotypes. Clowning. <laughs> like what's that? Is that being silly? What, what do they mean? <laughs> Clowning as a way of acting out society's negative stereotypes. I get <laughs> pass. I don't know. <laughs> okay, yeah. The next one is mistrust and destructive criticism of LGBT community leaders. I will say I don't think I have this, but the way that gays treated Pete Buttigieg during this presidential election was staggering and i don't mean just because i know you didn't like him i, didn't like I know you didn't like him. i didn't dislike him because he's gay right but how many people were like he's fu- how many gay men were like he's fucking straight like don't try to pass this like th- fuck well you, again that's you know? like it's it's gays telling other gays how to be gay right right yeah like like where do you get off can you not where do you yeah, get off can you not right can you be like uh Man, this is awesome. He's a gay candidate running for president. He's raised millions of dollars. Like, he is competing on the national stage, and you're going to be like, he's not gay enough. He's not the type of gay I want to see. Right, because your type of gay that you want to see is probably ultra-liberal, probably ultra-femme, and that's not how every gay is. As beautiful as those types of gay leaders are, he wasn't that, you know? So he was torn down for that and i think the gay community treated him absolutely awful i don't think i have that particular issue but um the next one is reluctance to be around or have concern for children for fear of being seen as a pedophile wow wait what (laughs) reluctance to be around children for fear of being seen as a pedophile okay i do resonate with that that. is other people's problem it, it, like that it is, is that is, is a them issue if it is a hundred percent other people's problem but i i am always i god i like this is so real but like when i'm around people's children i actively make sure that i am always in front of another adult oh, so because interesting. i i know i know I, like i've and I, it's not every time but it's enough times for me to realize that it's a thing. I just never want somebody to be like, he's predatory. Oh, he's predatory. Like he was like with him alone or whatever, That's you know, like he was like, I know, I know. I don't, I don't know why I think that, but I, t- I totally have like with even friends who know me very well being around their kids. I just never want somebody to be like, 
if I'm showing a kid something on my phone or if I'm like, you know, like playing a game or like if we're in a separate room, I'm always conscious of that. I'm always conscious of being like that. I, I, I feel like people don't want their, their kids to be super close to gay kids, to, to, to gay people. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really real, but I really feel that. Um, the next one is unsafe sexual practices and other destructive risk-taking behaviors, including risk for HIV and STIs. I mean, I'm a born-again virgin at this point, so. Uh, I certainly have leaned into some things that are not very smart in my Which, like, 10 years of being out now. Yeah. But I feel, like, I feel like a straight woman could say the same thing. I feel like a straight man might even be able to say the same thing. Maybe not. Probably. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not the one to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next one is separating sex and love or fear of intimacy, sometimes low or lack of sexual drive or celibacy. You want to, you want to take that? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I won. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Uh, I mean, I 1,000% of intimacy issues, if that's what you want me to admit. <laughs> I, 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 so do I, and I'm married. Like, so, like, I just... Yeah. There's, because there, you're, you're, like, and I've even noticed it when you, when you talk to your friends about gay sex, like, you blow their minds when you tell them that you don't have to do a doggy style. Because, or like, like you don't the, have to have sex to have sex. Right. If that makes yeah. sense. That like, sentence made no sense. Right. No, it totally did. You don't have to have penetrative sex. sex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's like, that's what's so funny. Like the queer, queer sex is so different than straight sex, you know, like, because. But I also think that a lot of times, and this is completely a different topic, but like, I think we are reduced to what we do in the bedroom a lot. Yeah. I think when, when, when like the world sees two gay men, all they do is think about them fucking. Right. Rather than like, like these could be two men who are like very much intimately in love, but like all like you know, Karen sees is like <laughs> them with each other's dicks in their mouth. But like, <laughs> that was so great. Uh, I don't even know if it's just the Karens. I don't even think it's just. No, the I think it's everyone. I think, I think we do it. I think I we think do it to ourselves too. I think we do it to ourselves because it's always who's on top, who's on right. bottom. Which like fuck who fucks that. Fuck that. You know what? Well, I won't go that far, but what? like it's, it, I was just going to say like, like one, it's none of your fucking exactly. business who fucks and who. Also, like, and number two, I take it both ways. So like, it's just like we have like, like it's not that defined. You know what? You're the straight world may be a little bit more defined of who puts it in who, because like straight people are less experimental with multiple people in bed with you know toys in bed like a lot of those things are marketed towards queer men and queer women and that's not to say that there aren't some like you know sexual deviants out there within the but i don't um, think i don't think being accepting of all that makes you a deviant like i don't like that you just use the word deviant all right well fuck me okay (laughs) i just like I, i guess it would be like what that is my internalized homophobia saying that if you have sex with multiple people at the same time, you're, you are probably doing something yeah. wrong. But you're not. And I don't, I don't think that's right. true. <laughs> but also, like, yeah. Okay, not. Yeah. I also struggle but, with, like, uh, the t- stereotypical, stereotypical gay man being, like, this oversexed horn dog. Because I'm like, right. I know yeah. I'm 
lonely and depressed and have no sex drive. So like, you right. know, am yeah. I wrong in that? No, you know? like, no. Or like, or like, just because like, I, like my thought of like a good time isn't like getting drunk, doing cocaine and like fucking 10 people. So like, therefore am I, you know, wrong in the community or whatever? I don't, I don't, I don't can like I say that that feels like deviant. Like, can I say that that, that's yeah, not, I don't want to. I was fucking with you. There's, there's so many ways that your, your, your sexuality can replicate itself. Yes. Like in terms of like physical contact yes. with other what people. Was the original you question? could be one end, you could be the other one. It was separating sex and love, fear of intimacy, low or lack of sex oh, drive yeah. or total celibacy. Yeah. I mean, Ooh. I fear intimacy like none other. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number 24, uh, substance abuse, including drinking and drugs. Hey, ding, ding, ding. we're here. We drink a lot. Yeah. Um, and number 25, uh, thinking about suicide, attempting suicide, death by suicide, just to end lightly, you know, I, you know, I've, I've had my bouts of, of depression. I've had extreme bouts of anxiety. I, I think that, um, for me, my internalized homophobia has never driven me so much to, to that point of questioning whether or not I wanted to exist. Although I have certainly struggled with things like that in the, in the past, um, I don't think that it was necessarily related to my homophobia or if it was, it was more just like my own mental health, not being where I wanted it to be and me not accomplishing the things that I wanted to be, but the suicide uh, and suicidal tendencies within the queer community is real specifically, you know, with youth, they're, they're 30% more likely to commit suicide. And so while that may not apply to, to me, I, I definitely see that as, um, a massive component of why people, you know, struggle to love and accept themselves. So I don't want to downplay it. I'll just say for, for me, it's not something that I've experienced. Yeah. And I don't really want to talk about it. That's okay. fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was, I was also going to say we should just pass this one. Cause it's like pretty loaded for the last yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, a little too loaded. We'll, we'll... I would say, I just, I feel like, Generally speaking, oh, in that general, that is absolutely real. It's absolutely real. You know, like that people hate themselves so much, or they get disowned by their families, they end up homeless, or they just don't feel self love, and they question everything, right. question their existence, and and that's a real thing that, like, as a community, we need to work on to support our people absolutely. better. Absolutely, so, yeah, yeah. I'll leave that one. Yeah, we'll just, uh, just we'll tie a little yeah. bow on that one. <laughs> I don't need to go back to my Kairos experience. So, um, yeah, I know. God. Um, but to, to me thinking about this podcast and thinking about this episode, I feel like we've unpacked so much. Um, we may need to release this in two parts. Um, but, um, I know you and Kathleen, the only two parters I think we have, um, fuck that bitch. Um, but I, 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 I'm not going to, as we were talking on our break, like I, I'm not going to try to end this podcast positively because I don't, I don't think that this is a a positive subject. I don't want to say like, 
you can get through it. I think that working through it takes a lot of therapy. I think it takes a large support group. I think it takes, you know, love and acceptance. And those things are all difficult. Right. So I, I also, I'm not going to put a, put a bow right. on it. I also yeah. don't think it's the type of topic that, like, you're ever done with, if that makes sense. Like, you're not like, it's not like, oh, that's the time in my life when I was, like, internally homophobic. Like, no, this is, like, something <laughs> yeah. we're, like, battling with constantly on a, on right. a like personal micro level at a macro level within the community like i think it's i don't think it is like a thing with like a start point and an end point i think it just like naturally goes hand in hand with like being queer um just like you know yeah i i, I don't think that it's possible to like put a bow on this and like yeah box it up and put it away and like you know with your high school memorabilia like oh remember that time in my life when i was like internally homophobic like no this is like this is something we're like forced to carry with ourselves right and even if you don't feel that you struggle from it the other queer people in your life probably do or like so like that's gonna impact or like as that list shows like it manifests itself in a lot of different ways and like that was 25 most of which we could relate to right or like you said like you might have it, you know, figured out, but like not everybody does. So like, it's going to come up in conversation and it's like going to be something that like, you know, is the elephant in the room potentially forever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that's like, that's probably disconcerting to a lot of people. And right now I feel comfortable with that, but normally I love to end things. I love to just be like, I'm done with this chapter. I'm done with this, but I'll always be struggling to find a way to love myself better, to accept that this is who I am. I've only been gay out, or I've only been out and gay for... Oh, fuck. Yeah, fuck. I've only been, you know, externally gay for 10 years, and that was with a limited amount of people for probably three or four years of that time. So I feel like when you think about that I'm almost 30, that's only a third of my life that I've ever even said it to anyone. Versus straight people know they're straight for many people. Many straight people know that they're straight for their most of their life, and they they have a path. They may be able to find that path quickly. They may have you know challenges that they face too. Uh, But you're right. Like this is this is still new in the terms of it's only a third of my life. So like, who knows where the fuck it's gonna go from here? I think the only thing that you can do is reach out, talk about it, go to therapy, and you know make sure you're conscious of the fact that like recognize when something is internalized homophobia. Right. And now I feel like fuck, I have a lot of things that I can now look at as internalized homophobia. Right. Like just from that list alone. And also like, like that I didn't really think And about. also like I think we and I'm saying we but like I mean me like I think I need to be better at like giving myself the grace to like understand what I carry with myself every day. And like that like sometimes it's you know it's heavy and sometimes it's hard and sometimes these things like suck to talk about. So like yeah, I guess just like being nicer to myself in that regards too. And also like give yeah. myself the, yeah. the grace to recognize that like, yeah, you know, this is this isn't always pretty, I guess. I don't know. Um I don't, I don't really yeah. know where I'm going with this, but like yeah, that it is like it is something we all can actively and need to actively work on. Um, like for the benefit of others, but like also for the benefit of ourselves. Um, right or else like it'll just be a perpetual state of sadness which is just 
or like it'll yeah. it's just like gonna be like further roadblocks and in like fully integrating who you are as a human yeah yeah and as i'm thinking like you know we were we were talking so much about how like we are adults now so like this is our life but like this for both of us you know it's been a part of that your your public experience of being out has been part of your life for for five, five years. years like and mine's only been right 10. like why do like, i think i'm supposed to have this all figured out like right I, you know that's like insane yeah and that's that's where i feel comfortable ending our discussion on because like that is insane because the most formative parts of your life are those really early years it's really hard to learn new behaviors as you get older learn new skills like learn new coping mechanisms that all gets more difficult because your childhood is so formative to who you are as an adult um and i've always thought that it's not because i actively chose different paths but like i recognize more and more every day that it is absolutely um, very much part of that um so i feel good i feel like this has been another episode of let's unpack that (laughs) boom um so thank you guys for joining us on this journey, shall Quite we say? The journey. Um, you know, it's it's a Friday afternoon as we're recording this, and I'm just ready to get fucking drunk. But now, also, like, so. what are days anymore? It's day, it's what day, are what, days? Like 45 of quarantine? <laughs> I, God, I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. It's been six weeks for me. So. I don't even remember. It's yeah. been a lot. I don't know it's either. And it's like a dreary April, it's, so it's, who knows? But that, It's cold out. Uh, it's gray. It's allegedly Friday, so the calendar tells me. Yeah. 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 And that's where we are. So um, if you like this episode, if you didn't like this episode, please let us know. You can uh, follow us at let's unpack that underscore podcast and leave hate comments on Instagram. We love those. <laughs> um, <laughs> I always want to be hated uh, on the internet. You- yeah. If not, you can send us an email at let's unpack that pot at gmail.com. So thanks so much for listening. We'll be we will be back again next week. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.